I am Dr. Danai Azaria, Associate Professor at the Faculty of Laws of University College London, UCL, and the Principal Investigator of the ERC European Research Council Starting Grant on um, State Silence. This project is funded by um, the ERC and it explores the uh, legal significance of the silence of states in international law. The title of this lecture is The Silence of States in International Law. International law is made and identified by observing what states do or say. But what happens when states do nothing? This is the, the focus of this lecture. The International Court of Justice, the ICJ, has referred to the following terms in its judgment in the Anglo-Norwegian fisheries case, the United Kingdom versus Norway, 1955-51. Lack of objection, lack of opposition, and toleration. It has also used the terms failure to react, failure to object, and passive attitude in the tempo of Perpichiar case, Cambodia versus Thailand, in 1962. And the terms failure to protest, and lack of questioning in its judgment on preliminary objections in Somalia versus Kenya in 2017. These are only some of the terms that international courts and scholars use to describe essentially the same state conduct, what I call here state silence, namely the physical or verbal inaction of a state against the background of someone else's conduct or claim. Under international law, state silence can have multifaceted legal effects across all fields, including in the sources of international law, state responsibility, the law of international claims, and the law on, international, on, on the judicial settlement of disputes. In this lecture, I focus on state silence that has legal effects because it has a legal meaning, namely state silence to which international law attributes legal effects because and insofar as silence represents the intention of the silent state. As a default rule, state silence does not have a legal meaning in international law. This does not mean, of course, that state silence does not have reasons behind it. From an international relations perspective, state silence can be often correlated with um, a lack of state capacity, or it may reflect political considerations. It may be owed to internal political preferences, or may be a way for, for states to navigate competing geopolitical pressures, or achieving advantages, such as bargaining, or avoiding the escalation of a dispute. However, under international law, in particular contexts and under specific conditions, state silence can have legal meaning. And in this lecture, I focus on two diametrically opposed legal meanings. State silence as acceptance and state silence as opposition. Now, in the first part of this lecture, I will discuss state silence as acceptance. First, I will consider how state silence as acceptance plays a role in international lawmaking. Second, I will set out the conditions under which state silence may have the meaning of acceptance, pointing out some, challengings where, uh, some challenges when applying uh, these conditions. In the second part of 
this lecture, I will discuss state silence as opposition. This is an area completely untouched by scholarship to date, but it is extremely important in the practice of international law. And more specifically, first I will demonstrate that state silence as opposition plays a significant role in establishing the jurisdiction of an international court or tribunal, because the existence of opposing views establishes the existence of a dispute. And second, I will discuss the conditions under which international courts and tribunals infer positive opposition from state silence. My analysis in this lecture is based on the reasoning of international courts and tribunals. Starting with the first part of our lecture, state silence as acceptance. State consent is cornerstone in the making and evolution of international law. For this reason, whether the silence of a state constitutes acceptance, and if so, under which conditions, is crucial. We are concerned here with the concept of acquiescence. Now, since its decision in the Gulf of Maine in 1984, and up to its recent uh, judgment in Somalia versus Kenya 2021, the ICJ has consistently defined the concept of acquiescence as, and I quote, equivalent to tacit recognition manifested by unilateral conduct, which the other state may interpret as consent. Although acquiescence plays a role, particular role, in the establishment of territorial title, it permeates um, the whole of international law as it is relevant for the identification of customary international law, as well as the formation, interpretation, and modification of international agreements. And it thus has the potential to influence the development of all primary rules of international law in any field, uh, from the rules on the use of force, to uh, the protection of human rights, to the law of the sea, trade law, and so on and so forth. Now, international courts and tribunals have relied on silence as acquiescence or acceptance and have developed conditions under which silence can have this legal meaning. The ICJ's reasoning, particularly in this respect, has infiltrated and reinforced the reasoning of the United Nations International Law Commission, the IOC, whose work is influential on the conduct of states, as well as on the reasoning of international and domestic courts, in topics beyond uh, the confines of territorial title. Now, conclusion 10, paragraph 3 of the IOC's 2018 um, conclusions on the identification of customary international law, which are non-binding, of course, provides the following, and I quote, failure to react over time to a practice may serve as evidence of acceptance as law, opinio juris, provided that states were in a position to react and the circumstances called for some reaction. The IOC has taken a similar approach in another topic which ran in parallel with the conclusions on custom identification, namely its 2018 conclusions on subsequent agreements and practice in relation to the interpretation of treaties. Here, the IOC was concerned with the rule that is set forth in Article 31.3b of the Vienna Convention of the Law of Treaties. This rule is also customary international law. This rule stipulates that the interpreter of a treaty shall take into account the subsequent practice of some treaty parties that establishes the agreement of all parties about the treaty's interpretation. To identify how an agreement between all treaty parties can be established by the subsequent 
practice of only some parties, the IOC states in conclusion 10, paragraph 2, and I quote, silence on the part of one or more parties may constitute acceptance of the subsequent practice when the circumstances call for some reaction. Now, this brings me to the second part uh, under part one of this lecture. What are the conditions under which the silence of a state can mean acceptance in custom identification or treaty interpretation? That con the conditions that have been developed through international case law and have been relied on by the IOC in the two topics I just mentioned uh, can be summarized as follows. First, there are circumstances that call for a state's positive reaction, namely there is an expectation to react by objecting. Second, the state is capable of reacting. Third, the state knows or has construed knowledge of the circumstances that call for its reaction. And fourth, reasonable time has passed from the moment that the state has knowledge, actual or construed, during which it has remained silent. Now, a general remark is warranted about these conditions. They are abstract and can thus be adaptable to real uh, circumstances and social expectations over time. And in addition, because they have been developed through um, the reasoning of international courts in cases that concern facts and evidence, primarily in the 19th and 20th uh, and early 20th centuries, it may be challenging at, time to, at times to assess how they apply to modern realities. And in the following minutes, I will explain each of these conditions while pointing out some of the challenges surrounding them. Starting with the first condition, circumstances that call for one's reaction must exist. This requirement concerns an expectation to react, not an obligation to react. For a circumstance to call for another state's reaction to exist, the following thresholds have to be met. First, the conduct or claim must be that of a subject of international law involved in the custom formation or the treaty development. For instance, any state, if, a, if the rule concerned is a general customary rule, or any treaty party if the rule concerned is treaty-based. The silence of treaty parties vis-à-vis -vis the conduct of states that are third states in relation to a treaty cannot lead to an agreement between treaty parties as to the treaty's interpretation. Second, the conduct must threaten or affect the interests or rights of the silent state or silent states. This criterion was developed especially in relation to bilateral relations between states in the context of territorial and maritime disputes. But in modern international law, there are rules that protect community interests, such as the protection of human rights or the environment, namely erga omnes or erga omnes partes obligations. These are owed collectively and indivisibly to all states in case of general custom or only to a group of states in case of erga omnes partes obligations based on treaties or a regional group custom. Now, the directly affected state, for instance, the victim of um, use of force, would be expected to react against the state that used force, especially if that state is also putting forward a justification which is controversial under custom or treaty law. But it is not entirely clear whether all other states are also expected to react, in the absence of which their silence would mean acceptance of the controversial legal doctrine that is being put forward by the acting state, the state using force. 
Now, the IOC has not taken a position on uh, this type of situation in its 2018 conclusions on customer identification or, or on subsequent agreements and practice in relation to the interpretation of treaties, nor have international courts and tribunals addressed this matter. Under the 2001 Articles on State Responsibility, all states to whom the obligation um, ergonomous or ergonomous parties is owed are entitled to invoke the responsibility of the responsible state for breaching such obligations. Now, on the basis of this reasoning, it could be argued that all states to whom ergonomous or ergonomous parties obligations are owed are also expected to react within the lawmaking process. However, first, it should be, well, it should not be taken for granted that the collective standing under the law of state responsibility is or should be transposed to the norm evolution process. And second, if all states are expected to react and all or some do not react, this approach may undermine the legal stability of erga omnes or erga omnes partis norms. Um, future research under the State Silence Project will clarify further this issue. Third, the conduct calling for a reaction may consist of physical action, but it must, be, must involve a sufficiently determinate legal claim. Political claims do not in general call um, for the reaction of other states with consequences in international lawmaking. Fourth, in, other, in order for conduct and claims to call for the reaction of another state, they have to be frequent and consistent. Contradictory attitudes prevent norm evolution because they cast doubts on the validity of all related claims and undermine the continuity of that practice. In Somalia versus Kenya in the merits 2021, the court was concerned with the delimitation of maritime zones of the disputing parties. Kenya maintained inter alia that Somalia quest to a maritime boundary um, with Kenya, and the court found that Kenya had not consistently maintained its claim that the parallel of a latitude constitute the single maritime boundary with Somalia. Kenya's claim was contradicted by its own domestic law over time and its submission to the Commission on the Limits of the Continental Shelf that it is established under the Law of the Sea Convention. And for these reasons, the court concluded that there is no compelling evidence that Kenya's claim and related conduct were consistently maintained and consequently called for a response from Somalia. Fifth, the claims have to be made um, in a context relevant to the claim subject matter. To give an example from modern international law, if a claim about the interpretation of a multilateral treaty is made in that treaty's own conference of parties, um, this context is more likely, most likely to call for the reaction of states. In addition, the context will ensure that the silent state has knowledge of the claim, and this brings me to the requirement of knowledge. The silent state um, must have actual or construed knowledge of the conduct and the claim that call for its reaction. A notification of one's claim to another state is not required in order for the threshold of knowledge to be met. However, lack of notification does not prejudice the knowledge of the silent state when knowledge may be inferred from other facts. Now, acts that are publicized or carried out openly are deemed 
to have been known to the states concerned, they would be captured by the threshold of construed knowledge. In relation to construed knowledge, in the fisheries case, the knowledge of the United Kingdom was assumed by the court on the basis of the existence of vital British interests in the maritime area concerned. The court stated that as a coastal state on the North Sea, greatly interested in the fisheries in uh, this area, as a maritime power traditionally concerned with the law of the sea and concerned particularly to defend the freedom of the seas, the UK could not have been ignorant of the Norwegian Decree of 1869, which established the Norwegian Strait Baseline System that was um, in dispute under, under this case. So today, with the advent of mass media, of global coverage and social media, actual knowledge may be more easily um, achieved. Now, whether a state has actual knowledge through these means, however, will be a matter of evidence. But would this means of communication also meet the threshold of construed knowledge? Would a state be taken to know about the legal claims made by another on the website of its Ministry of Foreign Affairs or on Twitter? The answer to this question remains to be seen and my current research will shed some lights on these questions. But it, it needs to be clarified that acts carried out secretly, such as covert military operations abroad, or claims made secretly or privately, um, do not satisfy the threshold of knowledge of those that are not aware of those acts or claims, by or could not have been aware of those facts because of covertness. And by implication, they do not trigger the international lawmaking process in relation to custom or treaties vis-à-vis -vis the states that are unaware of covert actions or confidential and private claims. Moving on to the third uh, requirement, the silent state must be in a position to react. Now here the involvement of a silent state in international or non-international armed conflict entails that it is not capable to react. And this was the position of the arbitral tribunal in its um, um, 1998 arbitral award on Eritrea and Yemen. More recently, the ICJ in Somalia versus Kenya in 2021 considered, and I quote, the civil war that afflicted Somalia, depriving it of a fully operational government and administration between 1991 and 2005, needs to be taken into account in evaluating the extent to which Somalia was in a position to react to Kenya's claims during this period. Now, a more, however, difficult issue is whether the concept of being in a position to react also includes the state's economic or institutional capacity. The IOC has not addressed this question, nor has any international court or tribunal. A differentiated approach within acquiescence on the basis of each uh, state's economic capacity may address calls for substantive equality between states. However, differentiation on the basis of economic capacity is not a straightforward task. By reference to which criteria would economic capacity be measured? And would this capacity change over time? Now, this approach would make uh, very difficult the determination of the law over time. The fourth requirement is that the state must be silent for a reasonable period of time from the moment it has actual or construed knowledge of the circumstances that call for its reaction. 
no international court or tribunal has pronounced um, on a specific uh, period of time that would be reasonable. Reasonableness um, depends on the circumstances of each case. For instance, in the Gulf of Maine uh, case, the silence of the United States in almost five uh, years since Canada had issued the first permits on exploration on uh, George uh, Bank was, according to the court, a short period of time in order to attribute to the silence of uh, the, the US the meaning of acceptance. In Pedra Branca, Malaysia versus Singapore, um, the ICJ found that almost 30 years of absence of protest on behalf of Malaysia vis-à-vis effectivité perform, performed by Singapore were sufficient to uh, manifest Malaysia's acquiescence to the passing of territory. However, more recently, in Somalia, Kenya, preliminary objections 2017, where the ICJ had to determine whether it had jurisdiction, it assessed uh, whether a memorandum of understanding, an MOU, between Somalia and Kenya was a treaty in force. Now, the court first noted uh, that the terms of the MOU were indicative of its binding character. Here, the court followed its traditional uh, method for identifying whether an international agreement exists. However, it also continued and considered the fact that Kenya had registered the MOU with the United Nations Secretariat and that Somalia had not protested against this registration for five years. Although in this case, of course, the court was concerned with identifying whether an MOU is a treaty, its finding suggests that there may be instances where silence may signify acceptance within a period of five years. I now move to the second part of our lecture, state silence as opposition. Whether state silence has the legal meaning of opposition is important because the jurisdiction of international courts and tribunals rests on, the, rests on the existence of a dispute. International courts and tribunals have, have defined the term dispute as a disagreement, namely the existence of positively opposing views of the parties about facts or the law. Now, whether the views of the parties are positively opposing can be identified in their statements. But what happens when a state communicates to another state its views and its allegations and the latter state does not respond. In Georgia versus Russia, 2011, the court did not specifically find that Russia's silence in response to Georgia's claims allowed the inference that the dispute existed, but instead it based its finding on the statements of Russian representatives. However, the court did pronounce that the existence of a dispute may be inferred from the failure of a state to respond to a claim in circumstances where a response is called for. The court repeated this reasoning in the three 2016 decisions on preliminary objections in Marshall Islands versus India, versus uh, the United Kingdom, and versus Pakistan, albeit in these cases the court found that a dispute could not be inferred from the silence of these three respondents in response to the statements that uh, the Marshall Islands had made in two multilateral settings. But more recently, in the Gambia versus Myanmar in 2022, with pre preliminary objections, the ICJ considered whether it had jurisdiction in relation to the Gambia's application against Myanmar that the latter uh, violated the Genocide Convention. Among its uh, preliminary objections, Myanmar argued that the ICJ lacked jurisdiction 
because there was no dispute between the Gambia and itself on the time of filing the application. And more specifically, Myanmar argued inter alia that it had never rejected specific claims by the Gambia. The Gambia had made two statements in the UN General Assembly in 2018 and 2019 following the 2018 and 2019 UN fact-finding mission reports on Myanmar. In its um, statements, the Gambia condemned Myanmar's conduct towards the Rohingya uh, people. In 2019, and following its statement in the UN General Assembly, the Gambia communicated by not verbal uh, to Myanmar its views that Myanmar was violating the Genocide Convention and called upon it to cease its conduct. A month later, the Gambia filed the application before the International Court of Justice. Myanmar had not responded to this not verbal during that one-month period. Now, the ICJ considered that Myanmar's rejection of the allegations made by the Gambia can also be inferred from its failure to respond to this not verbal. Now, this brings me to the next question to consider in part two uh, of our lecture. Under which conditions have courts and tribunals inferred opposition from state silence, from failure to respond? My analysis of all decisions of the PCIJ, the Permanent Court of International Justice, the ICJ, it lost all uh, arbitral uh, awards of tribunals having jurisdiction under Chapter 7 of the Law of the Sea Convention, as well as all uh, investor uh, state arbitral decisions available at the website of Italo, leads to the conclusion that the following conditions have to be met in order for the court or tribunal to infer opposition and thus the existence of a dispute in case that the respondent has been silent. First, a state communicates its allegations or views on, fa on a fact or law directed another, at another state in circumstances where the other uh, state is expected to react. Second, the other state is aware or could not have been unaware of the other state's views or, uh, on a fact or law. And finally, third, reasonable time must uh, pass from the time of awareness uh, of a particular allegation. So starting, let's unpack these um, uh, conditions. Starting with the first requirement, an allegation or view must be made in such a way so as to call for another state's reaction. A systemic reading of the reasoning of international courts and tribunals, spearheaded by the decisions of the ICJ to date, leads to the um, conclusion that a claim must be opposable to the silent state. And for this to happen, the following conditions have to apply cumulatively. First, the allegation must be publicized externally. Views or allegations that are only shared internally among those that represent a state do not meet this requirement. Second, the allegation must be expressed by a person or entity that represents the state. In Georgia versus Russia, the court pronounced that in international law and practice, the executive of the state represents the state in its international relations and speaks for it at the international level. In North Star 2016, a case between Panama and Italy before ITLOS, Italy argued that the communications it received had no relevance for the purpose um, of the fulfillment of the requirement of the existence of an international dispute between Italy and Panama because the communications that Italy received were by a private 
a Panamanian lawyer who failed to provide evidence of representative powers on behalf of, pa of Panama in all communications he sent to Italy. Itlos rejected Italy's claim but accepted that for communications sent by a lawyer in a private capacity on behalf of a state to be opposable to another state, the latter needs to be duly informed of the authority conferred on the lawyer to represent the former state. Because Panama's Ministry of Foreign Affairs in two not verbal to Italy had confirmed um, that that lawyer's authority to represent Panama uh, and because Italy had sufficient knowledge of the representative powers, Itlos found that the communications of the lawyer were opposable to Italy. Third, the allegation must be directed at the respondent state, at the, the state that later remains silent. It is possible that an allegation, allegation is directed at one particular state, but um, this allegation is contained in a statement or a document that is communicated to a wider group of states. A paradigmatic example is a statement that is made in a multilateral intergovernmental setting, such as the United Nations General Assembly. In the three decisions in Marshall Islands versus India, versus the UK and versus Pakistan, the court was concerned exclusively, in fact, with statements that the Marshall Islands had made in multilateral settings. And it found that in such setting, it must give particular attention to the content of the statement and to the identity of the intended addressees in order to determine whether that statement, together with the reaction thereto, show that the parties have um, clearly opposite views. Fourth, the allegation must be sufficiently specific. The allegation does not have to be expressly referring uh, to a particular uh, rule of international law in the Gambia versus Myanmar and relying uh, on its previous uh, decisions. The court reasoned that although the Gambia statements did not specifically um, mention that, uh, the Genocide Convention, a specific reference to a treaty or to its provisions is not required. Instead, what um, the case law seems to uh, suggest when reading it uh, systemically um, is that the applicant must expressly mention the conduct complained of and it must present that conduct in a way that it, it is connected to the subject matter of the rule that is being invoked by the applicant. Fifth, the context in which the allegation is made must be such as to raise an expectation to react. And for instance, the ICJ has found in the Marshall Islands decisions that the subject matter of a multilateral setting in which the statement is made is relevant in identifying whether the statement calls for the reaction of another state. Now, the second requirement um, has to do with awareness. The silent state must be aware or could not have been unaware of the allegation against it. The ICJ has uh, set out this threshold in the three decisions in Marshall Islands um, uh, cases in 2016. Now, the awareness requirement includes not only uh, instances of actual awareness, but also um, construed awareness, what the court, court code uh, calls um, instances where the respondent could not have been unaware of an allegation directed to it. 
And this is especially important in multilateral settings and it, that are, have proliferated in modern international law. If an allegation is made in a multilateral setting where the respondent is present and where the statement concerns the subject matter of that um, uh, meeting, a court or tribunal is most likely to find that the respondent could not have been unaware of that allegation. And this is consistent with the ICJ's reasoning, um, not only in the Marshall Islands decisions, but also in its recent uh, uh, decision in the Gambia versus Myanmar. And finally, the third requirement um, concerns passage of time. Reasonable uh, time must pass from the time that the respondent is aware or could not have been unaware of the applicant's views. Now, this question arose for the first time in the Gambia versus Myanmar 2022. The Gambia had communicated the not verbal to Myanmar one month before the Gambia filed its application to the court. And during that month, Myanmar did not respond to the not verbal. Now, the court considered that one month was a reasonable passage of time because of the particular circumstances of that case, and more specifically, <coughs> Myanmar was informed prior to receiving the Gambians not verbal about the allegation, allegations against it um, through the Gambia statements in the UN General Assembly. Uh, and allow me to quote for the, from the uh, court's judgment um, decision. Um, Thus, the not verbal did not constitute the first time that these allegations were made known to uh, Myanmar. And we're entering the crucial point. In light of the nature and gravity of the allegations made in the Gambia's not verbal and Myanmar's prior knowledge of their existence, Myanmar's rejection of the allegations made by the Gambia can also be inferred from its failure to respond to the not verbal within one month uh, preceding the filing of the application. So the court's reasoning suggests that one month can be reasonable, but only very specific circumstances that are connected to knowledge, but also the nature and gravity of the allegations. Of course, uh, the court has not explained what it means by the nature and gravity of allegations, and um, further research on this subject will clarify um, this issue. Now, to conclude, state silence can represent the intention of a state as acceptance or as opposition, and produce legal effects in international lawmaking or in international dispute settlement, respectively. But for each of these legal meanings to be attributed to the silence of a state, strict conditions have to apply. As a default rule, in other words, state silence in circumstances that do not meet these strict conditions does not have a legal meaning.